Hello and welcome to the ninth episode of Football Insider's podcast show, The Inside Track. I'm your host, Lewis Piers, and with me today, I'm joined by Football Insider editor Wayne Vesey and our special guest, former Millwall Coventry and England goalkeeper, alongside being a scout for Aston Villa twice, Tottenham and Everton, Brian King. In today's show, we have exclusive news all around the January transfer window. Up first, we'll be discussing Tottenham, their latest signings and confirmation on who really is pulling the strings behind the scenes at the club. We'll also discuss Everton's potential targets and outgoings, including talks around star midfielder Amadou Onana. We have exclusive information from Brian King, who is an absolute expert on the Scandinavian market, about Erling Haaland and his long-term future at Manchester City. Additionally, we'll be discussing Copenhagen sensation Rooney Bardagy as many top Premier League clubs are keeping close tabs on him. We'll also have all the latest updates on West Ham and the Lucas Paqueta injury, Arsenal's ongoing search for a striker, Manchester United's key personnel that could be targeting exits in both this window and the summer window. Before we jump in, I'd really appreciate it if you hit that follow button on your preferred podcast platform. And if you like what you hear, make sure to give our pod a top review and a rating. This helps us produce the very best possible show. Let's get straight into the episode. Okay, Wayne, to start with, we're going to talk about Radu Dragasin, of course, has just signed for Tottenham. Yeah, it's a massive deal for Tottenham. They've been working really hard to, to get it over the line. They've obviously fended off a late Bayern Munich hijack, which is quite quite a coup in itself for Tottenham. Um, ever since the Van der Ven injury, it's been an absolute A1 priority for them. Christian Romero has very poor availability, huge number of red and yellow cards and Tottenham need a third high-quality centre-back and Dragazin's the one they've really pursued strongly since it became clear that Todibo um, wasn't going to be available in January. They wanted one and um, they've managed to get the deal over the line. So it's it's, it's a massive coup for Tottenham. Um, he, he will, he's played every game for Genoa this season um, and he's got, you know, he's a good fee. I don't think, you know, it's less than... It's, it's less than Van der Ven, but it's affordable for Tottenham. Um, 21 million plus 5 million add-ons. And on the face of it, it seems very good business. And the key is they've got it in early. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Brian, one of the parts of the deal, of course, that fans weren't necessarily expecting was Jed Spencer's going the other way on loan to Genoa for the rest of the season. What did you make of that? And, and how do you see his potential Spurs career now, now, now going? Well, I think it's going to give him an opportunity to, to build on his career because he hasn't been playing regularly. And um, by the sound of it, he's going to be playing regularly in the in the um, uh, Genoa team. So that's going to be a plus for him. It'll be a, a chance for to Spurs to to um, have another look at him, really, in another light. And um, hopefully his career will go forward, whether it's in Italy or back in England. But I think it's a good. I think it was a good lever for the um, for the boy um, uh, uh, Dragasic because. Um, Although Bayern Munich were in, they obviously had Eric Dyer as a cover if that went wrong. Um, because we can't take away the fact that Eric Dyer is an England international and was a decent player for Tottenham, a decent player. I first came in touch with Eric Dyer when I was at Everton. Uh, we, had him on, we, we had him on trial up there when he was 17 from Sporting Lisbon and looked a very good prospect. Didn't sign him and next thing I heard, he was at Spurs and... Uh, Good luck to him, and it, it'll be nice for Harry to have somebody to um, to call a mate there, a real mate, you know. And obviously he is. So um, sounds as though it's going to be a good deal all round for everybody. Can I ask you, Brian? Do you think Harry Kane would have been a really big factor in convincing Bayern Munich to sign I mean, just from a sort of recruitment point of view, would he? Because he's such a powerful player, an important player. If he went to the club or manager and said, "Look, get this guy. He's, you know, he's affordable. He's available. He's not playing. He's, uh, he'll really help. I like him. He'll help me settle." Would you think that does happen for, with big players? Well, it, it it could happen, but I don't think it went that way anyway. I think Tuchel would know the player, the club would know the player, and um, they would probably go to Harry and say, "What do you think? Do you think he could settle and play in Germany?" Um, he settled, you know, he, he started his football life in, in Portugal. Mm. Um, then he came to England and um, he'd done very well in England. And to be fair, he'd done well at Tottenham. As I say, he's a full England international. And for and for him, it might be a chance to put himself back in the frame. 
um, if he's going to play regularly at a, at a club like Bayern Munich. And as people say, and I've heard, why why did um, Dragovic go to Tottenham when Bayern Munich are, are so positive in the Champions League? Well, it's going to give Eric Dyer a chance to play in the Champions League as well as Harry. So uh, I think it'll be good for both of those boys. I think um, Harry's had a wonderful start. I mean, you can't take that away. And uh, he's scoring goals for fun over there. And uh, it's it's not a fun league to play in. It's a tough league to play in. And um, Harry's proved what a world-class player he is on all fronts. So, Eric, maybe stop the, the goals that have been leaking in there. And uh, it's been a long time, like this season, when... Bayern Munich lost 5-1 at Eintracht. I mean, I can't remember the last time that happened. So maybe he'll, he'll fill the gap. Yeah, absolutely. I guess we'll have to wait and see. And if you'd like to listen, last week we covered in-depth Timo Werner to Tottenham, which has now been confirmed. So please go back and listen to that if you have missed it. But Wayne, are there any other deals that Tottenham might be looking at? As you've kind of mentioned, they, they definitely have been leading the race in terms of this January transfer window. They've been very active. Are there more deals to potentially come? I mean, Tottenham are also looking at bringing in a central midfielder um, before the before the window shuts. That's a more com- complex deal because Conor Gallagher is has been their top target, and obviously he's a, he's playing for one of their fierce rivals, and he's a regular in the team as well. He's played all but one of their Premier League matches this season as captain decide, I think, in 14 of their Premier League games as well. So he's a key player for Chelsea. Pochettino doesn't want to lose him, but Chelsea have massive financial issues in terms of circumnavigating the financial fair play rules. They're really up against it in terms of um, complying with those and selling a homegrown player, while fans would absolutely hate it, means it's a pure profit deal. And that's one of the reasons why they sold Mason Mount. Also, they couldn't agree a new contract, but also that was a pure profit deal, £60 million to Man United last summer. Um, so the door is kind of open for... Conor Gallagher to go, despite Pochettino not wanting him to go, and um, and Tottenham see him as a potential fit. I, th- I think it's a very difficult deal to do there in January. Um, I would say it's probably more likely, like, uh, unlikely to happen that, than to happen by the time it's by the time the window shuts. But it's definitely possible because he hasn't extended his contract at Chelsea beyond summer of twenty twenty five, and he's only got. 18 months less. So that so that's probably the big one for Tottenham fans to to watch out for. And then if he if they're able to sign him, I think Koyberg would leave um because he's he's just a fringe player and possibly the season. And if we look at it objectively, whether we're looking at incomings or, or outgoings at Tottenham, Wayne, who is really doing who's leading the recruitment charge? Do you think Ange is really involved in all of these moves, or are there senior members really at Tottenham that might be pulling the strings? It's quite interesting because they brought in a new two new recruitment people in November, um, both from Aston Villa, Ron McKenzie, head of recruitment, Johan Lang, who's the sporting director. But Fabio Paratici, from what every what from sort of what contacts are saying, he very much still pulls the strings despite his worldwide ban. He has the ear of Daniel Levy. Levy trusts his judgment, and Paratici's fingerprints have been all over the best Tottenham signings of the last sort of five years, really, because all, all those players that have signed from Italy, we, we spoke about them um, a couple of weeks ago. They've all done superbly well. Bentenko, Kulusevski, Dustin Yodigi, Romero, um, the, the Vicario, they're all Fabio Paratici recommended players who, and he brought brought them all in. It was absolutely key to bring them all in. So but in the background and sort of, Brian will know much more than me of what really goes on in the background at an elite club like Tottenham. I think Brian was there six years as senior scout at Tottenham um, during the Daniel Levy era as well. Um, Paratici's absolutely pulling the strings on their business. Brian, have you got any insight? What was what was you know what, what's Daniel Levy like as a character on a day to day basis? How close did you work with him during your time at Tottenham? I, I didn't really have that much contact with him. Only over one. One deal, really, that um, the people that I got involved with to bring Modric to Spurs, um, and that was not the sporting director who handled that deal. That was the chairman. Um, and the chief scout at the time was a fellow called Eddie Preston, who was a, a former player. And uh, I think Eddie's rise to fame, although God rest his soul now, he's uh, he was Jeff Hurst's best man when he got married. And um, Eddie was a wonderful man, wonderful man, great football knowledge. And through him and me and the chairman, 
the deal for Modric was done after it could have been messed up. But um, just listen to you, Wayne, about uh, the boy Gallagher at uh, Chelsea. Um, that, it seems it seems a strange one in one way, but there again, as you say, Chelsea have got to get the finances right, and certainly, certainly the money they've spent, and um, I think everybody agree they've misspent it because the players they brought in have not been the kind of players that they were anticipating to bring in. Um, uh, one player in particular, I'm not going to name him because um, I think the story was that they brought in the wrong player. Um, oh, please name him, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's a Ukrainian boy, but I'm not going to go any further than that. Um, <laughs> but um, no, I personally, I think if they're looking for a central midfield player, and, and there's been a lot of talk, um, the boy Phillips at Man City, I mean, five or six million, it costs for a loan. Um, I'd, I'd be looking at that. I'd certainly be looking at, at him because he's the kind of energy that Ange likes. Mm. And uh, obviously, Pochettino having to lose to lose Gallagher, if it happens, would be uh, would be a big loss for him because he's been central in, in every game Pochettino's been involved in as a manager and has proved his worth not only internationally but as a, as a club player and the player who's come up through the ranks. Um, good player, both. Phillips and Gallagher, for me, are Spurs players, players that would would work hard for the team and for the manager and for the club. And uh, as I say, if if they can get a player of Phillips's ability on loan, um, I'd certainly have that. And there's still what there's still 18, 19, uh, 18, 19 yeah. days left of this month, so the window yeah. ain't going to close, and things can change quickly. Yeah, and you can you can also see a scenario, can't you, where they have a n- number one target, a number two, number three, number four, and Phillips. I mean, he is on their target list. I think you're definitely right about that. And obviously, he's available. Man City's available, but they have the loan fee that they want, and also they have they want all his wages covered, don't they? I believe so. You know that that means Juventus think are out of the running, and um, it's limit. You know, it's limiting the potential clubs who can afford him and take him. But you know, Tottenham well, will have their backup list, won't they? Well, he can't. He can't affect Man City that much, even if he does go to Tottenham, because I presume that there'd be a clause that says he won't play against Tottenham in the second game or whatever. But mm. um, Spurs are not in the Champions League, so um, he's going to concentrate. <laughs> and funnily enough, with the FA Cup coming up, um, I, I, I wonder whether Gary Ma, Ma, wonder whether Gary Mabba had another own goal there doing the draw. I mean, you couldn't have picked a worse team to play if you want to succeed in the FA Cup. But if you if you're going to win the best cup competition, then you've got to play the best. So, um, I mean, it's uh, it's it's an interesting one. But for five or six million for a loan, I mean, when you're talking about prices today, I don't think that'd be a bad deal for six months. There you go. Well, that's the that's the insight that we need. So if we move from North London up to Merseyside, Wayne, and talk about Everton, what are their plans during this window and, and how busy are you expecting them to be over the, over the next few weeks? Um, well, Everton are very limited list in terms of what they can do because of their points deduction and their own sort of crippled finances. Obviously, the takeover still hasn't been completed in the background. So they're, they're, they're limited to loan deals and free transfers in terms of incomings and then in terms of outgoings, I think Sean Dyer should be doing his absolute level best to make sure none of the big players and key first-team players leave before the window shuts. So uh, in terms of incomings, um, yeah, Medbury for Man United is one player that submitted a loan offer for. Um, he's held talks with Everton, but Seville are currently in pole position over that deal. I mean, there could be a late twist even for this podcast is published but you know at the moment it's more likely he's going to go to Spain but I'd, I'd expect maybe uh, one or two late loan deals at Everton one or two um, maybe more loan departures um, Dan Juma's one he hasn't been playing he could he could potentially go overseas and maybe back to Spain as well for him so there will be there will be some business but in terms of 
big fees being spent, that won't be possible. And it's interesting that actually Brian mentioned Calvin Phillips because he's one player that Everton inquired about last summer. It wasn't reported at all at the time, but um, I've subsequently been, been told by by a very well-placed source that they made an inquiry and they were told by Man City it, the loan fee for this season would be £7 million. Plus, they wanted all his wages covered, which I think around £150,000 a week. And Everton, for for them, that was too much. So they they, they dropped out um, and then and Calvin Phillips ended up staying in the end. So that big loan fee, they still want a big loan fee in January, less than what it was last summer, but still significant money. So I can't see Everton getting Phillips, but I could definitely see Newcastle or even Tottenham getting him. And what about outgoings then? Sounds like there's going to be quite a quiet window. I mean, one name that's come up not only over the previous summer, might be over the next summer too, is Amadou Onana. Is there, is there any news, please, on him and what his future might be at Everton? Yeah, I mean, he's he's, he's, he's wanted by some other Premier League clubs, but the interest is more tentative and he's more of a backup player on, on various scouting lists. Because um, Arsenal's top target is Douglas Lewis very much for, of Aston Villa, but they're willing to wait until the summer to get that to get him and also they can't afford to get him this month anyway because Villa now see him as a £100 million player um, with the same value as Declan Rice and Moises Casado and Enzo Fernandez last year. So that'll be too expensive for Arsenal. He will stay at Villa this month, but you know all bets are off when it comes to his future in the summer. And Anana's on that list, but a backup. I, I, Everton wants £60 million for him, so I can't see um, any Premier League club Paying that for Anana, um, especially if they saw his penalty against um, Fulham in the League Cup. So, you know, it's more likely he will stay um, and the departures will more be the, the fringe players. Yeah, it sounds like one other deal that that sort of collapsed was Ben Godfrey potentially going to Atalanta. So as you've mentioned, there are obviously quite a few deals that are going on behind the scenes potentially. Yeah, Ryan... Everton will, sorry, no, assuming Everton will. So, no, for me, everything relates around whatever can what Everton can do and can't do because of this um, financial thing that they've got on at the moment. Again, it's a club that spent an awful lot of money on a, on a group of very poor players and now they're paying the price for it. They, Sean Dice is trying to rebuild the side and give confidence for the team. But one has to look just the same as Chelsea. If they've got to shift a player to be able to bring a player in, whether it be on loan or to buy a player, then they've got to be looking at anybody. And I think they're very vulnerable. You know, um, the boy Calvin Lewis um, is also an interesting one that could could bring big money to the club as well as Onana. I can't see Onana being an A priority for too many Premier League clubs. But, you know, France and Italy and Spain are always, are always looking for um, cut price deals. And um, when we say cut price deals, you know, 30 to 50 million um, Mm. seems to be the run of the mill today. But um, a player like that could certainly generate that kind of income. And if if Everton could get in, maybe with Calvin Lewis and Nunana, 100 million, um, who knows? But it will, um, I can't can't see these things happening uh, too quickly, to be honest, because Mm. he's he's got a decent set of players there, which he's trying to get results from after a 10-point. Um, deduction and um, the player that like you said earlier Wayne um, the boy from Manchester United Hannibal Mayer um, is a player that I think for the boy and for Man United it would suit them that he went to Everton whether it be on loan to the end of the season or what but um, with an option to buy but I think that would suit the kid a lot better I know he's um, he's a big big Talent, so Manchester United are saying, and um, he's done he's done reasonably well. But um, it might it might mean a new face in Everton, one who's uh, one who's bright and and can add a plus to the team. So personally, I'd like to see him go to Everton if he is going to go anywhere. But if Sevilla are prepared to put the money up front, then uh, then I'm afraid money seems to control many deals now and many clubs. Yeah. And Brian, what do you expect Sean Dyche's long-term goals are? Obviously, as we've kind of discussed in here, they're operating under quite a really tight budget and they're obviously looking at some some short-term deals, especially in this window. What will he be saying to his players? Of course, it looks like this season that, you know, they're going to stay up, but going into the next season, will it be a top 10 finish, a top eight? What do you imagine he'll be, he'll be saying to the squad? 
I think as he looks at it at the moment, it's uh, this season we've got to, we've got to survive. We've got to keep in the Premier League because again, that's where the big money is. Um, okay, if you get relegated, you get a parachute payment, but nothing like the Premier League, and especially with them possibly going to move into the new stadium at the end of the year or for next season. I mean, uh, they'll want 52,000 or 55,000, whatever it holds, every week for home matches or every other week. And um, I feel that uh, that group of players that he's got at the moment are are, um, as good as it's going to get for him at the moment. Uh, They should have gone down last season, believe me. I think he'd done a good job to keep them up at the end. But uh, they should have gone down last season. And they've been on the fringe of it for the last two or three years, to be honest. So, Everton, big club, uh, needs a lot of work still. And they wasted so much money. I mean, they wasted so much money on players um, who are not, as when I worked for Everton, David Moyes always said to us, is he an Everton player? You know, and that's always been an important thing, especially for David when he was there. And uh, I worked under him and I worked under Martinez and I worked under Koeman. Um, and I must admit, the way David worked and the relationship we had with the chairman up, there was something very special. Um, of course, we've, footballers lost the chairman now, Bill Kenwright, who was a wonderful servant but um, and a good friend. But it was... Uh, Evan, Evan had got a long road, a long road before they can start talking Champions League and mm. even, even a top six finish. Yeah, absolutely. If we move on, actually, we're going to focus on Scandinavia now. I think this is probably one of the most exciting bits that I've been building up to it and, and certainly been anticipating. Brian, before we get into to two superstars or to one potential superstar, one certainly is already established. Can you tell us, please, some backstory about your relationship with Erling Haaland and, and how you've seen him grow over the last few years? Yeah, I went to see him. Originally, he was playing for Norway under-15s in a place called Brumendal, which is in the middle of Norway. and Pouring with rain, and uh, his father was there as he as he is at all Erling's games, or he has been. Um, and I was there with a fella called um, Mika Mika Lipino, who was working for Feyenoord at the time. There's just me and him standing there, pouring with rain, one umbrella, typical typical um, Finn or a duck as he was as he was working for Feyenoord and living in Holland for many years. I had the umbrella; he didn't. Um, um, I said to him, you were a midfield player, I was a goalkeeper, I thought you had a bit of vision here, couldn't you see it was going to rain? Or what? <laughs> but um, but um, he, uh, he he's a really nice fellow, Mick, and um, has worked a long time, he's now at PSV actually, but we stood there watching watching the warm-up and uh, we saw this big blonde lump that came out and um, it, it your eyes were immediately drawn to him because the size of him, you know, he's six foot two or six foot three and a bit leggy, but um, just he was head, literally head and shoulders above above everybody. And um, Norway going to kick off. There's a kid playing for Starbeck, can't remember his name, um, but he's, he's done quite well in the Norwegian league. Um, probably that was his limit, but decent player. And um, he knocked the ball to early now. Both me and Micah saw the goalkeeper in the centre half of Sweden were talking on the on the the circle on the eighteen yard line, and um, Erling had obviously seen that as well. And this is on YouTube. Now it's on YouTube. And um, Erling looked up, one step, left foot, hit it. Now the ball's in flight, and the centre half and the goalkeeper are still talking. You know. All of a sudden, the goalkeeper thinks, hang on a minute, this ball's, going, this ball's going to go a long way here. And by the time he turned and the centre-half chased him, it was two boys chasing one ball and finished up in the net. I mean, we couldn't believe it. He scored a hat-trick that day early. And um, I said to his dad, I'll tell you what, um, Alfie, I'd, I'd, love, I'd love him to come over to Evan uh, for our academy to have a look at him. And sure enough, we managed to work it. And he came over for three or four days, played a couple of games, done okay. But the general opinion was that the, as his size, as he was so big, if kids of his age were going to grow up around him, would he be as powerful? Would he be as effective? Well, we've all seen the answer to that. Um, because Erlin has 
matured into a into a <laughs> into a good old fashioned English centre forward um, with great ability, good family behind him, and um, his moves have been quite wise. You know, when he was at Brina, I saw him again, and then he went to Mulder, and by that time we'd brought in Steve Walsh as a sporting director who would who had been at Leicester. And I said to Walshy, you know, we, sh we should have another try at him. I think we can get for decent money. Um, anyway, again, Walshy invited him over, and I think his father and him came, had a look at the club again. And we're very happy with the club because Everton do treat players, especially in those days, and I dare say it's the same now, but they, they, they really treated and looked after families and players, um, whether that was a moist way or not, but that was what happened. And uh, I think the fee that they discussed then from Mulder was about 2.5 million. Now, we could have had him for Brina originally for 60,000 compensation. Uh, that's 60,000 euros mm. uh, compensation. Now, we're on 2.5 million from Mulder, where he'd gone from Brina to Mulder when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was there. Um, and uh, Everton... Seemed to think it was a lot of money to play for a 17-year-old. Um, I know Bill wanted it to happen. Um, and at that time, he just brought in the new the new money people, uh, Mr. Asimov from Arsenal and Mr. Moshi also from Arsenal, um, which has turned out to be not as good a deal, I think, as Bill would have, would have hoped um, because they were being led, obviously, by other sporting directors or agents or whatever and uh, which caused this flux influx of poor standard of player in my meaning but um so that deal never got done manchester united should then have signed him manchester united should have definitely signed the boy and um i know the fella um who was a who was a chief scandinavian scout and he worked really hard really hard to get um holland over there uh, there was a mix-up because it was at the end of the season and a lot of people were on holiday at Manchester. Um, they were told that they had to ring at a certain time in the morning and the guy who was handling the deal from Mulder to Salzburg was a fellow called Jim Solbucken and he had good good connections with Man United anyway and uh, he had said if the call is not in by 10 o'clock um, then he will go to Salzburg. Anyway, the people who, sh who made the call made their call, but it was an hour late. An hour ahead. Because they should have run at nine. They rung at 10, which is 11 here. <laughs> yeah. So that caused the deal not, not to go through. Wow. On. Uh, and uh, from there, of course, he, um, he was knocking goals in as he was at Mulder. I, I think the Manchester United guy... Uh, the thing that really swayed him was the four goals he scored at Bran in a league match in 18 minutes. I mean, it was um, it, it was an incredible bit of football, to be honest. Left foot, right foot, header, uh, left foot again, I think. But in 18 minutes, Mulder a 4 nil up and, uh, wow. and early scored the lot. It was just, he, he, he's a natural goal scorer, the boy. And um, he's, you know, I, I call him now a monster because he's a, He's, he's physically so strong. And, uh, of course, from there, Salzburg, a little nut, you know, it gave him that little higher standard than what he was playing in Norway. He goes to Dortmund. And, again, the goals followed him. I mean, he's, as I say, he's a natural goal scorer. And uh, his career at Dortmund, where uh, I believe they um, had included a very, very clever court clause about the amount of money it was going to cost I think it was 51 million mm. and at that time everybody was after him um, and Manchester City were, were were leaps and bounds in front of everybody because of what they were doing and of course the manager they had uh, so Erling made the move to Man City do, do you think do you think Brian that there will be a plan of Erling and his father when of, of the next move or do you see like let's say potentially summer 2025 or something like or summer 2026 or do you see him spending the next seven or eight years at man city and being part of a dynasty 
I think he will be at Manchester City certainly as long as the manager will be there because, let's wow. be fair, where in the world are you going to get a better manager than him? Mm-hmm. Um, plus, they're winning stuff. I mean, last year they won five trophies. Yeah. I mean, uh, what was that? Erling's, Erling's first season, literally. Yeah. Um, and he's walked away as European champions, Premier League champions, world champions, <laughs> um, Super Cup uh, winners, League Cup winners, FA Cup. I mean... It's not a bad start, more... is it? <laughs> I've I've heard I've heard worse I can tell you, but um, I'll certainly give me right aim for two out of the five, let alone um, let alone all five. But but Erling's a very um, a very smart boy, and uh, so's his dad. His, his dad's been through the professional mill. You know, he he was a good footballer in Norway, moved to England, um, international player, went to a World Cup, and a very nice fella, Elfie. And um, you know, I've I've known him a long time, and uh, I'm pleased for the family, and I'm certainly pleased for Erling because um, he's fulfilled all the potential that that I saw. And I'm I'm listen, it's not rocket science being a scout. If you go and see a uh, a game and a player stands is a standout player like he was on the day, I I know Feyenoord if they could have afforded him, have afforded him, would have made an immediate move for him. Because um, Mika's brought some decent players into Holland, and uh, then of course there's there's another international that follows the Sweden Norway international, and then people will be be at that game, and and um, a lot of people were interested in the boy, a lot of people, and it, it's it's not me solely who said this kid's going to be a footballer. I mean, there were a lot of people uh, by the time he was seventeen saying, you know, where's he going to stop? Where will he end up? And uh, now he's end up with probably, certainly one of the top three clubs in the world, mm-hmm. if not winning wise, the best club in the world. Yeah. And as as I said earlier, you you ain't going to get a better manager than what he's got. And I think the way that Pepper's handled him, or Mr. Guardiola has handled him, has um, has been excellent, and the staff as well. And uh, I I look forward to seeing Erling's future because. This this ain't the end of Erling Haaland. And when teams like Mag- um, Real Madrid are mentioned, um, there is there's such a magic in that name. Mm. Such could, a magic. Could that sway him then, Brian? Do you think you know if if, if the let's say the Mbappe to Real Madrid doesn't happen, um, could and, yeah. uh, make yeah, but, a huge play for Haaland? But but imagine those two up front. Mm. <laughs> I mean, you know. Um, <laughs> those two up front, I would imagine, would put Real Madrid back in yeah. the frame for winning stuff. Yeah, uh, well, and they're well, certainly a big enough club. They're certainly a big enough club to, to handle two players of that stature. Yeah, and Excuse Brian, me. what what about another what, what about another name? So obviously, you've spoken about Erling Haaland there, Erling Haaland there. I mean, an absolutely amazing story. How about Rooney Bardaji? He's another name that sounds like lots of Premier League clubs are scouting. Do you think he obviously very different player to Erling Haaland, but could he be the next player coming out of Scandinavia that goes and absolutely flourishes? Cert- certainly could, but of course, the other player I had a big uh, connection with was Martin Martin Erdegaard. Yeah. I mean, Martin Martin's family lived uh, twenty minutes from here, from right. where I live. And I followed Martin since he was 13. Um, and again, I was with a guy called Ket Losfol, who was, who was the old Nottingham Forest player, a Norway player, and uh, he was working for Ajax. And you, you never seen... We, we were in an indoor hall in a place called Ro- Rofos. And, and uh, Martin was 14 years old playing. Tremendous skill, great technical ability. But he was lazy. He was a lazy boy. And I mean, we travelled up. It took me three hours to get to this place. And it certainly took Kettle the same. And uh, we were in this indoor. And I can tell you now, it was colder in there than it was outside. And I think it was about <laughs> minus six outside. And we were freezing in there. Um, so I was expecting Martin to run about a bit just to keep warm. But but um, looking at him on that day, I'm, I mean, this is how things work. You look at him on that day and you'd have said, no, thanks. No yeah. thanks. He looked disinterested. He was. Um, he, he he looked as though he shouldn't have been there. He, he was obviously too good to be there anyway. But this was the south of Norway playing the north of Norway in a final selection for the national team, mm. and um, you know it was uh, it was strange the fact 
the fact that by the time he was 15, he was playing in the first team and in the senior and in the Premier Division of the Norway League. But I had a meeting with his father and with him. And uh, it was just like a bus queue, really. Uh, as I went out, Bayern Munich had come in and then Ajax had come in and then Manchester City had come in and Man United, etc., etc. But we watched him consistently improve at uh, uh, Strumgotter. And, of course, the deal happened with Real Madrid. Mm. I didn't think it was the right deal at the time because it was meant to include his father as a coach or working with the younger players at the club. Um, that never seemed to materialise. I think I think it was hard for for Martin to settle. He was put out on loan with the with the B team, um, Castilla, and uh, then it went to Rio Sociedad, and then he ended up in Holland, where his game seemed to pick up. It wasn't it was funny? His first game, he came on a substitute as Cristiano Ronaldo came off. <laughs> so. That wasn't a bad introduction to Spanish senior football for, for Martin, but again, great talent, great and talent. Do you think he's a great fit for Arsenal? Because he plays every game now, doesn't he? And he well, he's captain. Yeah. He's captain and uh, he, he performs every game. I mean, his passing ability is tremendous. Um, his touch. He, the thing that was always questionable about him was, is he tough enough? Um but there again, he's clever enough because mm. as soon as the ball, he's, he's always looking for the pass before the ball arrives. For if somebody passes it to him, he, he can see the next ball, you know, and uh, things like that. He's not afraid to shoot. He's got he's got good feet. Um, heading heading is occasional for Martin, but um, he's a good footballer, and uh, as he's shown at at Arsenal, uh, um, he's he's a player who's had a big influence on the team. Well, talking uh, talking of Arsenal, Brian, I, I'm intrigued, actually, of course, it, Wayne, if, if we just pull it back to some transfer news, and, and that will tie yes. on quite nicely about Martin Odegaard, because, of course, the one player that seems to be that they're missing this season is a real number nine that someone like someone like Martin Odegaard can really offload the ball to. Wayne, is there any news about that, about their, their transfer news with, with, with um, Mikel Arteta? Are they looking at any names potentially for this window? I mean, Arteta's public stance is they're unlikely to to sign a striker. Um, Arsenal are another club who have to circumnavigate the FFP rules and spending 80 to £100 million on a striker this month is out of the question without some huge money sales. Um, and Ketty is one who could bring money in. Smith Rowe could bring money in. We're talking maybe £30 million for those players, £35 million. So they'd have to sell two of them to be able to afford a striker in the mould of Ivan Tony been really strongly linked with him. I mean, Tony went on the record last week and said that he wants to repay Brentford's faith for the second half of the season. So it seems more likely that Tony will leave Brentford in the summer. Obviously, Brentford won a huge fee. And if he has a strong second half to the season, they'll get that huge fee, no doubt. They'll get an £80 million plus fee. So I think Tony's very, very likely for Arsenal this month. Um, I, I could see them, and you know, there's there's whispers of than making a late play for a striker. It could be a loan deal, could be a short-term deal. I could very much see that happening maybe in the last two or three days of the window. In terms of a monster centre-forward signing, that would be very unlikely, unless they've got something up their sleeve or they're laying the groundwork for some some late move. It seems unlikely because they'd have to sell players first. Um, So it's more likely to be a, a, a cheaper deal. Sounds like a bit of a yeah challenge month. Go on, Brian. What were you going to yeah. say? Yeah, no, I was I was interested. Obviously, um, obviously the boy from Brentford, um, who's um, who's a very interesting player, certainly an interesting front player, and um, that's the that's the type of player Arsenal want. But I heard when was it over the weekend? I heard that there's a boy at Gattafi who they tried to sign in the summer, uh, Boya Madaroel. Um, let me just get this name right here. Um, M-A-Y-O-R-A-L. First name, Boya. He's 26. Funnily enough, in the summer, they were asking for 39, 40 million for him. Um, he's got a 20 million pound release clause in his contract. And that got, his contract goes out in the summer. Now, whether that would interest Arsenal, but I do know that Ateta went for him last summer. Right, and uh, this is a play. 
this is a player that's scoring goals in um, in Spain, and he's he's obviously a player that um, Arteta knows, and uh, it'd be interesting to see whether anything could happen with him. Yeah, and that, seems, it's, that seems an affordable price as well. I mean, I guess you're talking about Euros there, are you, Brian? 20, 20 yeah. Million. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, that you seems know, and price, doesn't it? It was it was it was a name that I'd never heard mentioned before, except that I did I I'd done a little bit of research, Wayne. There you are, you see these old people have to go back a bit. Well and, you've, got, um, you've got the super contacts, Brian. So this is very much um football insider podcast exclusive. Um well it's it's a name that came to that was put to me and said what do you think i said well as you said arsenal have got to be very careful on what they spend and mm. and and their financial fair play etc because now everybody's really aware after everton got deducted 10 points because mm. if if the big clubs are investigated as they are being done at the moment and come the end of the season 10 points could make a big difference of champions yeah. league or top six or whatever so that's just a name that I would throw in for the Arsenal. Yeah, my okay. interesting. That's a good. Okay, there we go. So this is what you get on the inside track: names that haven't been spoken about, and all of a sudden they come to light. Very interesting. Okay, and if we move from North London over to East London, Wayne, and talk about West Ham, sounds like also they're in a they're in the market for a certain position too. Yeah, I mean West Ham very much in the market for a forward. They've just had the um, sort of shattering news that Lucas Paqueta is likely to be out for two months with a calf injury. Um, the fans aren't very happy that David Moyes started him in the FA Cup last weekend after he'd already been injured the previous week in the warm-up. Um, he is obviously their outstanding player and West Ham have been need of, in need of a centre-forward for some time anyway. Um, Antonio's out for six weeks. Um, to Jared Bone's been playing such forward with great success. Their front three have been amazing in the last couple of months. They've really, really clicked and been really good fun to watch as well, Paqueta Bone and, and Mohamed Kudos. Um, so West Ham are on the market for forward. They, they aren't trying to hide that. And um, if they can get one, then D Danny Ings will, will likely go on loan. But ben Rama could potentially leave as well. But the Ben Rama doesn't likely now, given Paqueta's injury. Um, but that makes West Ham's need for a centre-forward sort of even more acute as well. And they're looking at various targets, obviously, players who have been mentioned um, mentioned already publicly, like um, Hugo Ekatik at, at PSG. He's he's like to be available. Um, Stephen Bergwijn, who's versatile forward, um, can play various roles, previously played at Tottenham. Jack Clark's another, but none of them are orthodox centre forwards. But they do. But Bowen has been playing that role with some success. So I'd very much um, anticipate West Ham signing a forward of some description, maybe one who can play various different positions before the window shuts. And then if they can get that deal done, Danny Ings going out on loan. So Brian, I'm really intrigued to, to get your get your view on this. So Lucas. Paqueta has been mentioned, you know, he's been exceptional for West Ham this season. Now he's out for two months. In a situation like that, when a star gets injured, you know, you're in the middle of the January transfer window, you get some really bad news. How does that change your transfer plans? And then do you then accelerate looking at that position? Does, does that affect it at all? Because it's quite obvious what West Ham have lacked this season is a real number nine. But with Lucas Paqueta being out, will that affect any of their transfer plans? Well, it must do. I mean, um, you know, all, all of a sudden there's an injury situation comes up. Um, maybe you hadn't thought about bringing another forward in there. All of a sudden, all that changes. What's, what's your number one priority? I've, I've again um, spoken to a couple of people and um, two names that came up in were playing over in Germany. There's a boy, Sahar um, Gurassi, who plays at Stuttgart, yeah. centre forward, yeah. um, who could be of interest. Decent money. Um, Frimpong at Leverkusen. Yeah, um, is is another one who's who's been um, scoring goals in Germany and could be could be the type of player that um, that uh, David Moyes would bring in. It's funny he signed um, Kudos because again Kudos was brought brought through from the Right to Dream Academy in Ghana, right? Um, and uh, the um, the team in the team in uh, in Denmark, Norseland, are are um, 
the 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 owner of Norshaland is also the owner of the Right to Dream um, oh. Academy in Ghana, and he's had a great influx of players. Now anybody could have bought anybody could have bought Kudos for two and a half million pounds five years ago before he went to Ajax. Anybody, and a lot of teams looked at him. We looked at him when I was at Villa because that was my last year, and um, I spoke to Tom Vernon, and and he was quite prepared. Because what he was looking for as well was a little bit of a link up with a Premier League club through mm. his club in um, Copenhagen and the club in um, Ghana. So, so these kind of players, and I know Manchester United have had him on the plate again. And this is through their very, very good Scandinavian um, scout by a fellow called Tommy Muller Nielsen, whose father won the European Championships. He bought, brought in to lead. Denmark in 92, because Yugoslavia had to drop out due to the war. Denmark come in, no chance, ended up winning it. And his father won it. Mm -hmm. And uh, Tommy's been working for Manchester United now, or he was, um, for eight, nine years. Uh, he passed away last year, mm. uh, Tommy. And his, his son is actually filling in or not filling in, but he's continuing the work, I believe. I don't know whether he's got a full-time position at Man U, but Tommy certainly had. And Tommy brought names up for Man U, which you could only dream about. The boy Hugo Larson um, at Malmo, another player. And this is, this is why people seem to back off from Scandinavian players during the last, you know, just before the pandemic, pandemic, etc. But, they had a player there called Hugo Larson, um, 17. Man United, everything done, dusted, nothing happened. Again, poor communication allowed the boy to move from, I think it was 1.8, followed by another million, followed by another million as he progressed, coming up to five. And uh, never happened. Eintracht came in and bought him for 23 million euros. Wow. And... You know, these are the players that clubs tend to think, oh, well, he's not with a big club or he's not a big name club. Um, the recommendations, or the, as it is today, the stats don't add up. You know, I'm sick to death of hearing people talking to me about stats. If he can play and he looks fit and he's, he's a decent lad, got a good life, then you bring him in. I wouldn't, I don't know how many, I don't care how many balls he's had on his left foot or his right foot or on his, <laughs> or on his bleeding ankle or whatever. All I know is, can the kid play? And if he can, let's look to bring him in. And that's how I worked. And that's how all the years I worked in scouting. That's the way we, we look at it. You can't beat a pair of eyes. You can't legislate if he's going to get injured or if his wife up, gets upset for living in in this part of the world. But, you know, you, you, you have to go with your feelings. And uh, I'm afraid today things are changing and... People say to me, well, you're old-fashioned anyway. So so um, it ain't done bad for me, spotting players. And uh, I, th I, th I think it's a good way, and still is a good way, to analyse and look at a player. You get a feel for a player and you're working for a good club. I think you're... I think you're right, Ryan. I think I think the eye test nowadays is certainly overlooked in comparison to looking at XG stats, shot on goal, or you know, whatever. That people people forget that you actually need to watch football and not just read it on a on a piece of paper. But that that, that does bring us on nicely. The, the good point also is um, recruitment teams have to convince owners, don't they? And they can convince them with data now rather than sort of well, yeah. rather than the chief scout thinks he's going to be elite or well, here are the stats and this is the way they convince ownerships and executive teams, isn't it? But um, Sporting you know, directors, sporting director is a position in a football club, which for me is in some cases and very few money well spent, but in most, because he's a sporting director in a football club. So what, what has he done? Who's he brought in? You know, um, I'm not going to cr criticise the people that Spurs are using or the people that Spurs are brought in, but um, they didn't have a good record at Villa. No. And um, they've certainly got to prove it here. And going back to your point about about who brings in the players at, 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 um, at Spurs or any other football club, if you employ a manager and the manager's worth his salt, he will not allow a player to come into that football club unless he's happy with it. That's for sure. 
no matter what the deal's worth or or um, how cheap he was or how expensive he's going to be, if the manager says, no, I don't fancy him, then, then you shouldn't go any further because he's a guy who's got to work with him. Yeah. And if we... And I was oh. going to say... I was going to yeah, say we'll in here. Up. Sorry. Yeah. No, go on, Brian. You say. No, you were. Yeah. B before I went off into one, um, Rooney was a name that you mentioned. Yeah. Boy of Copenhagen. Um, again, a lot of clubs looking at him. An awful lot of clubs looking at him. I mean, you can. Every club's looking at the boys. The the only query a lot of people have had, and what I've heard, um, is the size. Is size. Yeah. But, of course, um, you look at Messi, you look at Maradona, and you look at these kind of players. And uh, I mean, I mean, the kid that went to Sporting from Spurs—I um, can't remember his name at the moment. Wayne, you'll probably know who it is. Um, good players, small, technical, um, excellent footballer. Martin Erdegaard's not a giant, but a very good footballer. This kid is very, very bright and very quick. Great running with the ball. Um, and he's proved in two Champions League games that he's capable of playing against the best, Manchester United and uh, Bayern Munich. Because, I mean, uh, so, yeah. Man United and Man City among the clubs that are here watching um, really Bardwaji very closely, aren't they? Do, do you, you Would you expect him to go from um, Copenhagen to a Premier League club, or would you expect him to make a move um, into continental Europe first before he would come to the Premier League? You know, everybody always says for Scandinavian players, a good stepping stone is Holland or Belgium. Yeah. And I think that's proved also, especially for Martin, because uh, his game blossomed when he went to Vitesse. Um, I mean, it, it showed him, again, it, it shows that the boy's got character. He can go to another country. And um, he's, he's very bright. I mean, Martin, he, he learns a language, be it in Spain or in Holland and in England. And... Um, I think you could see that in his football at times that he's bright and uh, and stuff. But when when I think of this kid here, who's who's a he was born in Kuwait, Rooney, mm. um, and I would imagine that was something why they moved to Scandinavia was due to the was due to the war that happened down there, you know, with Iraq and all this uh, all this stuff. But 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 the kid has been capped at most levels in in Sweden. Um, I think he'd be kept for the full team at some stage. Uh, mm. uh, but again, if, you, if you're looking to bring in young players and set a link up with a Scandinavian club, and uh, then he's certainly one that you've got to be looking at. And it's, and it's the same, be it in Belgium, in Holland. I mean, there are, you know, there are two or three Belgian players in Holland at the moment, who are who are very very interesting young players. Yeah. Again, a lot of English clubs looking at. Them. Yeah, I mean, for, for, I think for Marion is the eighteen-year-old Belgian, isn't he? Um, yeah, Royal Antwerp. He's at. Man United uh, looking very closely at him, aren't they? Very closely. I mean, as 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 soon as you mention Man United, you you've got to mention Man City, Liverpool, Newcastle, Arsenal, should be Tottenham as well. Yeah. Um, the boy. Um, Miss Harvey, at um, Gabrielle Miss Harvey, uh, who's eighteen at Ajax, um, his contract—he hasn't signed a new contract at Ajax. It runs out in the summer. Um, again, a great talent, and one that all Premier League clubs and top European clubs should be looking at. Um, the unlucky boy at the moment is the boy that, that again, a Belgian player, um, Mika Gotts. Who's at Ajax, a striker, um, good size. That's the sort of player you, you you should be looking at at a Premier League club. Great potential. Had the unfortunate thing of being injured just before the break, before the winter break. He's injured his knee and it looks quite nasty. I don't know the full extent of it, but um, he was doing very well in, in Holland. And uh, those three players look great, great potential for any Premier League club that's looking to to bring in a young player. Yeah. 
Very, I mean, really, really interesting. And obviously all the insight, as always, on the inside track. So please go listen back to any episodes if you have missed any previous news. When if we start to slowly come towards wrapping up and we talk about Manchester United, what's it looking like for their incomings and potentially outgoings this window? And there's, there's more outgoings than incomings for sure because they have to massively reduce the wage bill. That's a big priority of Ineos and the new ownership under Sir Jim Radcliffe, Sancho's. Sancho's gone, and I'd expect three or four more to follow. And there's a massive issue getting Martial out because he wants to stay out, see his contract, then leave the free agent this summer. So that means um, any potential deal for him stored. Mebry's one, Hannibal Mebry's one we've already spoken about today. Um, Varane and Casemiro, they'd willingly sell those two, but they're on massive wages. And the the Saudi clubs have fulfilled most of their um, foreign quotas. So they would be the most likely avenues probably for them, particularly for Casemiro, because um, obviously his his legs have gone and he's been nowhere near the same sort of physical presence this season. So they, they, they need players out before they can get any in. Um, I'd expect any potential signings to be relatively cheap um, or or on loan because, because of the financial issues there as well. So it's much more likely to be the, um, the exit door rather than the entrance door for Man United. And Brian, you spoke earlier about the fact that Everton have recruited quite poorly. That's something that fans often bring up with Manchester United. Over, say, the last five years, how would you rate their their recruitment policies and the players they've brought in? Has has it been a successful spell in your eyes? Has it been poor? What what are your thoughts? Disastrous. Disastrous. When I I spoke to Tommy before he passed away, certainly the names that he put forward, um, younger players, you know, Kudos, Holland, Erdogan, um, the boy who went to West Ham. Uh, I mean, I've been poor. They've got so many scouts. And uh, I'd, I'd like to know exactly on how many recommendations these players were brought in from the scouts because dear old Tommy, um, he put a lot of good names forward. And unfortunately, they just seem to fall on stony ground. You're, you're saying about players that maybe they could be interested in. Well, there's a player playing in Nice, Jean-Claire Todaba. Um, he's got a release clause of 15 million. Um, the boy Dybala at Roma, hmm. he's got a release clause of 10.3 million. I know he's 30 years old, but hmm. but these these are probably players who they should be. I mean, spending money like they did on the goalkeeper and the um, the right-sided player, um, Anthony, and also the centre-forward. I mean, yeah. nobody would more shocked than the people who live in Denmark yeah. to think that Man United had paid £72 million for this boy. Mm. He's way off the mark. He's way off the mark. And for them to come in and say, we got the new Holland, I mean, I'm sorry, but... Uh, Do you think, Brian, Brian is, is, is there potential there? Do you think he, will, he could grow into a decent player? Because he's shown some sparks. There have been some slight moments. Or are you convinced that he, his time at Manchester United isn't going to work? I think it's difficult for him. I don't know whether he, he should have confidence in the manager. I've got no confidence in the manager, to be honest. Um, he, he doesn't generate that personality that I'd be looking for as a Manchester United manager. Ever since Alex Ferguson retired, Sir Alex Ferguson retired, he um, Manchester United have been very, very big problems to to settle on a manager. If you say what you like about Mourinho, um, and also, um, you know, the other Dutchman there, uh, they both won trophies. Mm. Okay, you can say now that um, you can say now that he started off um, Ten Hag. He won the League Cup. Yeah, fortunately he did because he's shown to me he hasn't given me any confidence that Manchester United are going to be a, a, um, a side that's going to win the Premier League at all. And that must come from the people he's brought in um, and as I say, just to add those three up, the goalkeeper, a friend of mine knows the sporting director at AC Milan or um, at, at um, Milan, and they were prepared to let Onana go for about six million. And all of a sudden, there's a there's a um, there's a, an email comes in offering over fifty million for him. <laughs> wow, <laughs> you know what I mean? And um, whether that's true or not, but um, I'm telling you what I was told. And 
of course, they're not going to say, hang on a minute, we've only got a bid in here for five million. Um, <laughs> would you like to readjust your bid? No, 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 you want him, you got him. And, um, you know, there's oh, over 50 oh, there. First flight, any hotel. <laughs> there's over 50 there. There's 80 for the right winger, Anthony. There's 75, 75 for the centre forward. I mean, three players. I mean, it's 200 million. Yeah. That's 200 million. And for me, misspent. Henningberg was my first my first person I recommended to Sir Alex Ferguson. Um, couldn't buy him at the time. Didn't have enough caps. Um, he was only 17. Um, Alex rang me up two or three years later when he bought him from Blackburn. He said, blimey, Kingy. Um, it's ended up, I could have had him for free. I've ended up paying nearly six million for him. But what a what, what a good player Henning was and a great servant. Of course, the, the one at Aston Villa when I was there with John Gregory was Olaf Melberg, who played over 100 times for for Sweden, um, yeah. a great servant to the Villa. Early in the course, who, who we had in our hand and and he disappeared to uh, pastures greener. And of course, Luca, Luca Modric, who we worked on when he was only 19 and, and watched him for two, three years before he came to Tottenham and became a great success at Spurs. Okay, Wayne, can you give us some news, please, on Rangers and Celtic, their ingoings and outcomings? What's going to be happening for them this window? Yeah, I mean, Rangers are still really active. Lewis have bought Fabio Silva on the loan deal, and they're looking at at least two more for the window shuts. The priority positions for them, I think, are left back and another attacker. Um, Michi Bashar is one they've held talks with. That deal's now collapsed, and he's like to join another club. He's got a lot of offers on the table, but Rangers are certainly really, really active, and and Celtic also looking to bring in players. Interestingly, Celtic also looking to bring in a left-back as well, and I think, Brian, you have some information, don't you? Some new information in terms of um, a top Celtic target. Well, um, the boy Kuhn is coming in, that's for sure. Nicholas, Nicholas Kuhn uh, yeah. from Rapid Vienna. He's yeah. coming in. He's certainly, it's, it's got to the talk stage anyway, so... Um, and there's also a boy called... Um, um, so I could ask you, so Kuhn is likely to happen? Look, it looks as though it's likely to happen. Yes, it is. Yeah. Is that um, quite advanced then, is it, Brian? Pardon? Is that quite advanced, that deal? Apparently so. Apparently so. He's... Um, and the clubs have agreed. Yeah. Um, the other one that Celtic tried to bring in earlier was a boy called Matthias Kvistgården at yeah. Bromby. Um, he was a player that they were looking at. They're not sure whether Bromby are going to release him because they, they'll soon be leaving to, um, I think, I'm not sure whether they're going to Spain or Portugal um, because my pal Brian Horn is, is a rage in the tournaments over there, the old Millwall goalkeeper. Um, and uh, Bromby are a club that he takes away a lot in pre-season. Um, but whether they'll be prepared to, to leave him. Of course, the thing that's been... a, a in the news, has been the, the way the boy Liel Abada, you know, the yeah. Israeli boy. Um, apparently, there's a group up in um, up in Celtic. They call the Green Brigade, Green Brigade, mm -hmm. who seem to make life a little bit difficult for him at the moment because they're very pro-Palestinian. Yeah. Um, now, whether that's true or not, it's um, it's not a nice place for him to be. But uh, those are the two players that I heard there. The Rangers. Um, because the Batshui thing is, looks as though it's fell through, they're looking at the boy at Hearts, Lawrence Skagland. Yes. Who's a very prominent goal scorer at the moment in Scotland. He's on fire at the moment. He's 28. He knows the league well. He's a player that, that uh, Rangers, and I think the boy's very interested to go to Rangers. And the other one was Gills Small yes. uh, from FC20, a left back, um, 26 years old. He's free in June. So whether a deal could be done now or they're going to wait to the to the summer, I'm not sure. The other one that you mentioned, I think, uh, Wayne, was Diog at um, Marseille. Um, Josh. Oh, Josh Diog. Doy. Josh yeah. Doy, yeah. yeah. Um, he's a player that um, apparently that they've been watching and interested. Uh, again, whether a deal can be done there or what kind of price could be uh, settled on, I haven't heard, but I know they want Lammers um, and Dessa. Yes. Uh, who were both summer signings. They've been in disasters, apparently. Yes. Um, so they would certainly like them out the door. I think Lammers is already going. 
Yeah, he's going to um, Utrecht. Yeah, yeah, to Utrecht. And uh, Suma is off to the African nations. Yeah. Silver is the boy who's arrived on loan from Wolves. Looks as though he could be useful for them. And uh, as I say, they're in the Lamanga training camp at the moment. So uh, that's as much as I know about the Scottish scene. Excellent. That was absolutely brilliant. So much gossip and exclusive news across a range of subjects today. Thanks very much to both Wayne Beasy and Brian King for their expert analysis and detail on all the stories covering so many clubs during this January transfer window. If you have enjoyed this podcast episode, please give it a share on social media wherever you can. And any clips you see on YouTube, make sure to give us a like and a comment, as well as subscribing to the channel. I'm Lewis Pears, and we'll speak to you all on the next show here on the Inside Track.